Welcome to Biota.org Interviews. I'm Tom Barbelay, and today I have the pleasure of talking with John Daigle, uh, the creator of Alesim. John, for people not familiar with you and your A-Life work, can you please uh, give some discussion to your background and how you got interested in A-Life? Uh, well, Tom, uh, thanks for having me on. I guess I got interested in artificial life uh, when I was a kid uh, through reading different science fiction authors, especially uh, Douglas Adams, uh, who had a, a great imagination for how these things would play out. But I didn't actually start programming anything until about three years ago. So I guess there's about a 25-year gap between uh, the time I started getting interested in artificial intelligence and artificial life and the discussions that I used to have with people and actually trying to implement some of my ideas. So I think that the, uh, the artificial life ecosystem simulator is uh, uh, technically lags a lot behind uh, what it should be, but I'm, I'm hoping it's a step in the right direction. You have a background in, in graphic design and visualization. How important do you think that is in creating artificial life? I think in terms of having people use your simulation and work with it, it's very important. Um, I know that as a, when, I, when I'm a programmer, when I'm working on a project, I tend to have very little patience for trying to make it look great because I'm, I'm spending most of my time looking at the code and most of my aesthetics are worried about how that's built. But I think that uh, as far as people interacting with things, it's a lot more pleasant when it's beautiful. Now, for people not familiar with Ailsim, can you give some background to it and, and your uh, group at Georgia State University that created it? Oh, sure. Um, the artificial, the uh, Ailsim, which uh, stands for um, Artificial Life Ecosystem Simulator, uh, started as a software engineering project uh, for a class, and it was myself and other students, Larry Eisenstein, Michael Ballum, and uh, Edward Boldwinkle, and the three of us, uh, the four of us decided to uh, try to construct a artificial terrarium initially, and as we started working on this and realizing the scale of trying to create something as complicated as a terrarium with plants and animals and uh, those kinds of controls, we, we scaled it down until uh, we had what is basically a single-celled life simulator, um, which at this point has been scaled down even farther to where there are only two different types of um, artificial life forms. And, um, you know, the attempt to interact in a, in a symbi symbiotic uh, way. And so the idea is to try to create something that not only has artificial life, but that has life interacting with its environment, to where the, the life forms affect their environment, alter the environment, and then the environment in turn affects the life forms. Now I know recently the project has changed slightly in terms of the fact that you are now taking on more of the development as a kind of solo project. Can you talk about the, the recent development, the improvements in usability, uh, the kind of balance growth uh, problems that you've encountered, things of this nature? of an interaction between 
the creatures. So what I wanted to create, uh, if you look at the simulation, you can see that there are two species of creatures. There's one that I call the Teramecium, which is essentially a carnivore. Uh, and then there's another one that's called the, uh, or rather is a herbivore. And then there's the yellow-green algae, which is you know, the plant life. And each one is affected by the two parameters in the, in the um, simulation, which is that the water has a nutrition level and an oxygen level. And I suppose anyone familiar with regular life would recognize immediately the cycle that has to happen, right? As, as creatures die or as creatures get eaten, the nutrition level of the water goes up, um, which is good for the algae. And, of course, as they breathe and respirate, the oxygen level goes up, which is good for the teramecium. And the idea is that there should be sort of a cycle and there should be some way to create mathematically um, a sense of balance between these, these four factors, the two life forms and the two environmental factors. Um, and as it turns out, this is tricky. <laughs> it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't all fall into place very easily. And, uh, if I can give you a background point from my own experience, the more species you add, be they predator-prey or uh, combined, the easier it is to balance those kind of equations. That, that actually makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's a phenomenon I've found both em empirically uh, and also purely theoretically, uh, but it does work. Well, that, that makes sense because of um, you know, the other big uh, research interest of mine is uh, complexity and you know, the idea of emergent behavior. And there should be a tipping point where you, as you add factors and you add factors, the behavior of the entire simulation changes in some qualitative way. So I'm kind of hoping to, to use the simulation to sort of explore that concept and explore that idea and maybe find some points where things shift and where the behavior of the simulation alters in some kind of a significant way. So, And of course it's open source, so anyone else who wants to play is, is welcome to contribute. Now in terms of genetic characteristics and things of this nature, in terms of mating and mutating the, the relatively fixed species that you've described, is this something that you've considered or is in current development? It's something that I've considered and I've certainly written about. Where I've been struggling with this simulation is finding something that would be a good way to represent behavior in, um, in an easily mutatable form. A lot of simulations that I see have a mutation that is essentially a selection, right, where there, there is a set of, of predefined behaviors, sort of like Easter eggs that are buried in the simulation. And as creatures evolve or change, they can sort of select these. And that's all very interesting, but it's also very artificial, and I think that it's, it's much more important to try to find some way to encode the information or to, to alter the code, the underlying behavior of the creatures in, in a way that will create novel behaviors that you didn't expect or novel changes uh, that were not previously thought about. I think it's something, particularly looking at Sim, where even little things like the... Um, individual species that ate different volumes of food and things of this nature or consume different oxygen levels and these things could be easily factored into genetics. Exactly, but then, then the question becomes what are your limits? You know, because obviously a creature that didn't need any oxygen at all is going to be the most efficient, right? So how do you set the limit on that? How, where, do you, where do you find the point where you say, well this creature can't, um, you know, the idea is to, to find particular limits and then allow the creature to explore uh, within those limits, but then also to, um, you know, 
how those would balance out. And in an RPG, uh, you know, I have some background in, in thinking about role-playing games. And typically in that kind of environment, what you do is you say, well, there's 100, say, points, and I can divide them between respiration and movement and whatever. Um, but again, that, that just seems very artificial. And they're, they're, I'm looking for a better way to, uh, to think about these things. So that's something that I'm hoping to explore in the next year or so with simulations, trying to find a novel way to come up with, uh, with alterations of behavior and this idea of simulation as an easel with which you can uh, take things in different directions, I think, is typified by by uh, Alef like Alesim. I think that um, in in broader terms, in in a broader sense of uh, computer science research, there's a general sense in the research that I'm doing right now, more academically. I'm involved in some neuron simulation groups, and I'm also working on simulations of the immune system. And there's a there's a sense in, in these in these kinds of communities that we have we've reached this level of complexity in the thing that we're trying to simulate that we really just don't understand it. <laughs> so there's no choice, absolutely no choice, but to, but to try to simulate different things, observe their behavior, um, and then try to come up with you know, ways to you know ways that that makes you think about both the simulation and the thing being. The original biota.org interview that I did of your team, much reference was made with regards to Maxis. Can you give some background into your own use of Maxis products and perhaps some comments on the recent Spore discussion? Well, the, I remember playing with the very first SimCity and being fascinated with it, spending, I don't know, weeks of my life you know, staring at this little city and trying to build it up. Also, I remember trying to play with the very first Sim Earth, which was very clumsy and difficult to work with. Um, I think has been uh, sort of superseded by some more modern products like uh, uh, Spore, I think, is probably the closest to uh, Sim Earth. And uh, Sim Ants was another product that, that uh, I really enjoyed. And, and what I enjoyed about these was the fact that you didn't directly interact with anything. That everything was same ideas with Ailsim in that there's an interaction between uh, environmental factors and the sims or the buildings or the traffic pattern itself, right? You, you construct the roads and then the traffic pattern follows. And I think it was, it's just that kind of philosophy of indirect interaction or setting environmental factors um, and then observing what happens. Kind of, it's more of an experiment than a game um, when you play with those kinds of products. So I think that that's probably uh, the most direct effect of the sim line of games on uh, the design of Ailes. The idea that, it's, that all interaction should be very indirect and should be more focused on the environment than on the, uh, the simulation agents, as it were. In terms of the ALAF community, you've joined it recently with a bang with the biota.org interviews and various other uh, community outreach uh, components that you've done with ALSIM. Can you give uh, a, some discussion to what you would like to see with the ALAF community in the future? Well, I think that, um, you know, as I, I said in my previous interview, the big thing about the ALAF community, and especially the projects that I see on Biota, is that 
huge amount of talent and creativity that goes into these projects. And I think that, um, it, but there's not a lot of organization. So you, know, you see most of the projects are you know, one person working alone or you know, with Ailes, you know, pretty much working by myself. And there's not, um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of community activity in terms of um, forums or more frequent updates or interaction from de you know between developers and uh, I think that could be very valuable and I, I suppose I'm just as guilty as not of not interacting with my fellow developers as, as everybody else because you know, I think everybody is kind of fascinated by their own by our own little world that we're creating and when we have time to work on a life we tend to you know, I'll tend to go back to ales and I'll tweak the code or try to fix something instead of maybe taking the time to reach out to other people and see what they're working on and learn from their projects. So I think that, uh, you know, really it's, it's, it's the responsibility of the developers to try to find uh, ways to interact with each other. And I think ways to do that might be a, something as simple as a group blog, um, you know, where people just you know, blog in one place about what they're working on. to kind of function as kind of a community newsletter. Um, and beyond that, that's, that's essentially it. It's just you know, to try and foster some kind of interaction, learning, tips and techniques, um, those, kinds of, uh, those kinds of experiences. But as far as the uh, community itself, it's, I find it just amazing the kinds of projects that people are working on and the, uh, the amount of effort that some of these projects take. In the original Dota.org interview, you asked for an RSS feed, and somewhat ironically, this podcast is an RSS feed. So, slowly but surely, I think Dota.org is trying to uh, trying to follow your dream. In terms of uh, any uh, final thoughts for this interview, do you have anything you'd like to add? Um, I think this is a really exciting time for uh, a life. Uh, I, I may have mentioned that. Uh, one thing that I'm working on uh, for my master's thesis right now is an attempt to uh, simulate the human immune system. Um, something like that is such a, a vastly ambitious artificial life project um, involving uh, I don't know, about 16 different species of creature and uh, you know any one of millions of different environmental variables. And but it really is an artificial life project. You're trying to take something that's a living thing, uh, make it work, or, you know, in an in silico environment. So I think it's a very exciting time for A-Life, because I think we're starting to get the kinds of, number one, the kinds of algorithms that we need in terms of particle swarm optimization and, and other algorithmic techniques, genetic algorithms, uh, support vector machines, just ways of uh, looking at the computer that allow you very complex things. We're getting much more power, so you can do uh, a lot more on a desktop machine than you used to, certainly. I remember my first computer had 64K. And uh, so I think, it's a, I think it's a very exciting time. I think we're we're going to see uh, moving forward in leaps and bounds, and maybe some of these ideas that we have about complexity and emergent behavior will uh, sort of apply to the community as a whole. There will be some real paradigm shifts. So I'm very optimistic. I think good things are on the horizon. Thank you very much, John, for the opportunity to interview you.